Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Scott McCartney is made possible with support from Pratt & Whitney, committed to working smarter, cleaner, and greener today for a more sustainable tomorrow. Learn more at prattwhitney.com. Dohop, revolutionizing travel connectivity. Learn how to unlock unlimited connections simply at dohop.com. And Sirium, the world's most trusted source of aviation analytics. Visit Sirium.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at AirlinesConfidential.com. Welcome to Airlines Confidential. I'm Ben Baldanza, wishing everyone a happy leap day. It's not a leap to say we have an excellent show. Scott McCartney. There's lots of news to talk about. Yes, there sure is, Ben, and happy Leap Day to you. As an added bonus, we'll talk to Maya Liebman, one of the smartest minds I know in the airline business. We'll talk about how technology will change air travel and look back at some of her experiences over 30 years at American Airlines. But before we get to that, we'll look at some of the new moves at American in the last week which are really significant, Ben, not to mention moves at Boeing and movement at the now three-year-old startup airlines. Plus, we'll fill listeners in on a quirky little note. Delta Airlines has an American Express credit card for fuel purchases. And as you might imagine, the credit line is very, very large. Details to come, Ben. It's not a leap to say this may be the biggest credit card balance in the world. I'm looking forward to speaking with Maya, and I'm fascinated with the moves American made last week. Eager to learn about that credit card, yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to leave us all a little jealous. So, Ben, American announced it will raise its fee to check your first piece of luggage to $40 a bag on domestic flights, or $35 if you book the bag online. American's fee was $30, so it's a substantial increase. United Airlines, which had been at 35 raised to 40 a few days after American went to 40. Again, you can pay $35 on United if you prepay online at least 24 hours in advance. Alaska not so long ago raised its check baggage fee to $35 for the first bag, and JetBlue went up to $45 with a $10 discount for paying online 24 hours before departure rather than at the airport. As of this recording, but stay tuned, Delta is still at $30, at least for now. And at Southwest, bags still fly free. Spirit can be anywhere from $39 to $99 for the first checked bag. Frontier is somewhere around $55 to $79, maybe less, maybe more. Frontier and Spirit, which by the way, have a 40-pound limit before oversized bag fees kick in, compared to 50 pounds allowance on the others, they make you put in flight information to see the pricing. 
with Frontier. I looked at a Boston to Denver trip in March and got different prices for different times of the day. I have to say, Ben, when people in Congress carp about the lack of disclosure on add-on airline fees, I think they have a good point on this one. If you ask me what the baggage fee is on Frontier or Spirit, the answer is it depends. And that's just frustrating. Yield managing baggage fees seems a degree of complexity far beyond what consumers should be asked to navigate. But I digress. The American 33% bag fee price hike came the same day our friend Jay Sorensen put out his IdeaWorks annual tally of baggage fees and said it went up 15% last year to $33 billion worldwide. That's a heavy load. Actually, more than IATA expects worldwide airline earnings to be. In other words, baggage fees alone account for all of global airline earnings in 2023. That's how important this is. An American is already the biggest collector of baggage fees worldwide. In 2022, American reported to the Department of Transportation that it collected $1.4 billion in baggage fees. Through the first nine months of 2023, it has already collected $1 billion. By comparison, United was number two in the U.S. at $922 million in the first nine months of 2023, Spirit was number three at $759 million, and Delta was number four at $739 million. So what do you think of this round of baggage fees increases, Ben? Does it make sense given the increase in labor costs? Is it possible an airline can make bags so expensive more carry-ons get stuffed in overhead bins or even passengers shift to lower fee airlines like Southwest or Net right now, Delta. Will Delta follow with increases of their own, or will Ed Bastian's Delta try and stay more customer-friendly as it has with Legroom? And will Southwest have to start charging for bags as its labor costs go up? Southwest just got a tentative agreement with the Transport Workers Union that will have big raises for baggage handlers. Well, Scott... As listeners may expect, I'm not as incensed by this as you are. You know, airlines have learned something in the last 10 or 15 years. It's about price elasticity. That's the measurement of how changes in price affect changes in demand. So if a small change in price causes big change in demand, that good is said to be highly elastic. On the other hand, If you can change the price and see almost no change in demand, that could have low elasticity. Airlines have learned that tickets have high elasticity, but bags don't so 
raise tickets by 10 bucks, demand goes away. Raise bags by 10 bucks, people still check bags, though they may complain more. So I bet Delta will match. But Southwest will have to again raise their fares to cover their new labor costs. Yeah, that's really going to be fascinating. I think the pressure is going to build on Southwest to start charging bags somehow. Um, they're, they're probably leaving billions of dollars on the table, right? Yes. And maybe they could start with charging only for the lowest one they get away fares. Yeah, but then you, you put a bag fee in and, and uh, you know, you can, like they do, there are perks with uh, Business Select. And so maybe you make it a perk with Business Select. I think it's going to be really interesting to see. You know, they've said all along they thought the benefit they got from not charging was more people bought tickets on Southwest. And so that did raise fares because the price goes up as they fill up the airplane. And, you know, Gary Kelly used to say, bring it on. You guys, uh, the, the more they raise their bag fees, the better it is for, for Southwest. So it's going to be interesting to see. Well, at some point, regular travelers who don't check bags will ask, why am I paying so much mm-hmm. on Southwest? Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. And speaking of a lot of baggage, Boeing. Boeing had a management shakeup, but not the one a lot of people thought would be coming. CEO Dave Calhoun kept his job, but Ed Clark who is in charge of the 737 MAX program, is out. He was replaced by Katie Ringgold, who is currently vice president over Boeing delivery operations. She's been at Boeing more than 12 years. Boeing also appointed Elizabeth Lund, senior vice president of quality control, a new position. Lund has had several senior positions across different aircraft programs and was previously running Boeing's supply chain. She has more than 33 years of experience at Boeing. Ben, coupled with the promotion of Stephanie Pope to chief operating officer last month, Boeing is doing a lot to shake up the old boys network there and putting women in charge of the rescue. I think it's fascinating, and I hope it works. Fresh eyes, strong voices, and firm ethics are definitely needed at that company. Good moves by Boeing. Women are good at all jobs, and these ones should do well. I think my only concern is picking people from the existing company, unless they're real mavericks within the company. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be interesting to see. So in other news, Ben, startup airline Avello said it eked out a pre-tax profit in the fourth quarter of 2023 for the first time and will be profitable in 2024. 
Congratulations to Avello and CEO Andrew Levy. We've talked before about how Avello was burning through a lot less cash than Breeze, the other carrier that started up flying in the spring of 2021. You've talked about how smart you thought Avello was at identifying new markets, such as New Haven, Connecticut, and Wilmington, Delaware. Avello flies 737s. David Nealman's Breeze, which flies smaller Embraer jets and the Airbus A220, has been changing its routes frequently, trying to find flights that work, and has been hemorrhaging a lot more cash, according to DOT filings. But last week, Nealman said he expects Breeze to be profitable in 2024 for the full year. It's going to have to be a strong Breeze to get him there. According to DOT data, expenses exceeded revenue by nearly $50 million in the third quarter of last year. For the first nine months of the year, expenses exceeded revenue for Breeze by $126 million. That's a lot of money for the small airline and more like a headwind than a Breeze. I want to mention one other change at American, by the way, that I think is significant. The airline is using its loyalty program to try and drive customers away from many travel agencies. This can be seen as a continuation of Americans' battle with travel agencies. The airline has been trying to force them to connect directly with its booking systems to avoid more expensive global distribution system fees. And American has eliminated a lot of its own corporate sales folks as it tries to get business travelers to increasingly just book directly with the airline. Now, American says it will start limiting which tickets purchased through a third party are eligible to earn Advantage miles. It said it will provide a list in April of preferred travel agencies whose bookings will still be eligible for the rewards credits. Presumably, those will be the ones with a direct booking connection to American, which really means the big agencies. American also says customers who buy basic economy tickets will only earn frequent flyer miles if they book on American's website. Scott, I think this is huge news. Actually, it's the biggest potential shift since in the 1990s when airlines stopped paying commissions Mm -hmm. as a general practice. American is making bold moves that if they work, likely will be copied by others. Yeah, and bad news for travel agents, don't you think? Yes, but they've been through this before. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I think it's a big move. I think it's very interesting. And I think it does stand to really uh, change how people buy tickets. All right. One more curiosity to report, Ben, what we've all been waiting for. The previously mentioned Jay Sorensen pointed out something fun to us that he found in Delta's annual 10K filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Delta reported that it has, quote, a purchasing card with American Express for the purpose of buying jet fuel and crude oil. The card currently carries a maximum credit limit of $1.1 billion and must be paid monthly. 
At December 31, 2018 and December 31, 2017, we had $1.1 billion outstanding on this purchasing card, and the activity was classified as a financing activity in our consolidated statements of cash flows. You know, I thought I had a big credit limit, but man, $1.1 billion on your American Express card, good for them, I guess. That's one giant black card, no, Ben? Do you think he comes with one free check bag? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's probably a little bit more than $599 a year. <laughs> That's right. Amazing. Probably efficient for both Delta and Amex, especially if paid monthly. Yeah, and and boy, do the the fuel sellers have to pay? Is Amex collecting the swipe fee on all of Delta's fuel purchases? Wow! I bet, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Well, on that note, Airlines Confidential wouldn't exist without our sponsors. We want to thank Doohop, which is revolutionizing travel connectivity. Doohop is a travel technology provider enabling airlines to expand their networks, offer more connectivity, create additional partnerships, and focus on improving the customer experience with more offers, services, and travel options. Airlines benefit from generating additional revenue, lower costs, and maintaining full customer ownership. Plus, in the event of travel disruptions, Doohop works with airlines and offers assistance in helping passengers reach their final destination. Visit dohop.com. That's D-O-H-O-P.com. And we want to thank Cerium. Cerium offers the most accurate and precise data and analytics to enable airlines to optimize planning, operations, and passenger services. The right intelligence drives operational efficiencies, enables you to predict market shifts, and help airlines respond quickly to maximize revenue, manage costs, and seize commercial opportunity. Visit Cerium.com for more. And we want to thank Pratt & Whitney. At Pratt & Whitney, the pursuit of more sustainable aviation is foundational. For decades, Pratt & Whitney has been at the forefront of revolutionary advancements in aircraft propulsion technology. And by working smarter, cleaner, and greener today, they are committed to supporting the aviation industry in its goal of reaching net zero CO2 emissions by 2050. Learn more about Pratt & Whitney's smarter technology, cleaner fuel, and greener business at prattwhitney.com. Scott, I think we should formally invite Amex to be a sponsor. <laughs> it costs much less than the flow they give Delta every month. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That'd be great. We'll work on it. And now let's say hello to Maya Liebman. Maya Liebman is the former executive vice president and chief information officer at American Airlines. She stepped down from that job in 2022 to move her family to London and continued to serve as a senior advisor to American until recently, ending a few months short of a 30-year run at the airline. She ran American's loyalty program 
And former CEO Doug Parker noted that when he retired in 2022, Maya was the only XAA member of the senior management team. Everyone else had come with Doug from U.S. Airways. She is one of the few senior airline executives who made it through the airline grand slam of the 9-11 terrorist attacks, a bankruptcy, a merger, and COVID, which explains her robust sense of humor. Maya has extensive technology, cybersecurity, operational, strategic, and leadership expertise. Her undergraduate degree is from the University of Chicago, and her MBA is from the University of California at Berkeley. And it is a delight to have Maya with us today. So Maya, tell us how you came to the airline industry. What, what was it that attracted you to this crazy business? Yeah, that's a good question. Thanks for that intro, Scott. That was very nice. So, you know, I was at Berkeley, like you said, I got my MBA and American came to recruit there. And it was for the, you know, RM revenue management, actually it was called pricing and yield management back in the day. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. You know, it's really kind of this fascinating area of the business. I'll go there and I'll do that, you know, like for a year, you know, maybe two years I'll be there. But then like 30 years later, I was still there. I've gotten to do so many different roles there, you know, in a lot of ways, it's really felt like a different company every few years because I've been in a different different role. You know, everything from those early days in PYM where I got to do, you know, domestic pricing and international yield and the work on our algorithms. And I even got to go to Argentina for a long time when we were doing yield management services for Aerolineas Argentinas and then working on AA.com and then running the Advantage program and then being the CIO. I mean, in a lot of ways... What's kept me there is just the the breadth of opportunities that I've had, and of course, you know, just the amazing people that I've gotten to work with. That's great. You know, I worked in that same department a few years earlier. Yeah, no, I think we missed each other just by a little bit, but uh, I know so many people who know you, and I've heard so many great things about you, Ben. Well, thanks. I think a lot of people don't realize how important technology is at an airline. Tell us what the CIO job was like for you, Maya. I think if you ask anyone who's been caught in a tech-related off-schedule operation, they know how important technology is. It is so critical. I mean, this is an industry that is wholly dependent on technology, you know, 24-7, 365. You know, we have dozens of systems that were they to go down, it would impact the operation in one way or another, including bringing it to a complete standstill, as we know has happened many times. So, you know, for those who don't realize how important technology is, they really should because it is it is really, there is almost what I like to say, there is no single process that happens at the airline on a daily basis that doesn't require technology in some way. The CIO role for me, you know, part of it was about ensuring the integrity of the systems because, you know, what we've just talked about, reliability was so critical. Part of it, though, was about bringing new and innovative technologies forward. Um, And that was always really fun, introducing something new from, 
you know, the self-service machines, to the mobile app, to, you know, new flight operating systems, you know, that that was always fun to sort of adopt new and innovative ways of doing things. And then part of the role was really about how we get better at how we do technology. You know, any one thing that we would do at the airline, you know, the what is important, like some new feature on the mobile app, but any what that we do is easily copyable by any other airline. And for sure, you know, if we saw something we liked that, you know, United had done, we would copy that or they would copy something that we would do. So, it, you know, the what is important, but if you can get better at the how you do technology, you know, and if you can work through that bottomless black hole of a to-do list faster than your competitors, then that's a true competitive advantage. So a big part of the CIO role for me was how do we get better at how we do technology? So as, as you look ahead with artificial intelligence and other emerging technologies, how do you think technology will change air travel? And, and I'm also curious of what you just said in terms of a competitive advantage. Uh, do, you, do you think there are airlines that are gaining a competitive advantage? Well, you know, AI is such a broad term. You know, it sort of depends on what we mean when we say it. You know, there's a lot of AI in place today at all the airlines. For example, you know, these chat bots and virtual assistants that you find. So if you're on the mobile app or something, you can, instead of necessarily calling reservations, as which was kind of the only option in the past, now you can chat with uh, initially with a bot. If you've got a simple question like, you know, what gate is my flight leaving from, you can get that answer immediately. Um, if it's a more complex question, then it sort of gets punted to a reservation agent, one of our terrific agents who will use sort of this virtual assistant technology to interact with you through, through chat. And because of things, you know, AI like this, we're able to field questions from customers and give them a much more immediate and customized experience to getting answers. I mean, that's just one example. We're doing a lot of things at American, like getting better at how we gate aircraft at a big uh, airport like DFW, because where you put the aircraft, you know, uh, from where it lands is really critical in terms of reducing fuel burn, reducing taxi time, improving the operation, improving the spacing between aircraft um, at a gate. Uh, so, so there's a lot of AI really in place already. But if you're talking about like more you know, this new concept, people are now distinguishing between sort of basic AI, like I've just described, to this concept of AGI, this artificial general intelligence. So like, how do we create true general human capabilities artificially, which is really kind of still under development, but there's no telling how air travel or pretty much everything in the world is going to change when that is in place. But ultimately, I think it's going to be a positive for the entire industry, because you know, our goals in technology largely revolve around how do we run a better operation and how do we improve the customer experience? And if there are better tools that are going to be created in the not too distant future, then I think we will get to a place where we'll be having fewer delays, fewer cancellations, fewer um, bad experiences, even in things that we have a hard time controlling today, like as a result of bad weather and things like that. So I think ultimately AI and the future of, of the tools will be a real net positive for air travel. 
And to the extent that they create a competitive advantage, I think it's just going to depend on which airline adopts them and, you know, in a more, you know, immediate and efficient way. Perfect leading. Airlines are having to pay more for people than ever before. Can technology help with this? Yeah, I mean, it's easy to point to technology and say, oh, we can, you know, replace jobs with this. But, you know, that really only paints half the picture. You know, all airlines have implemented lots of new technology, you know, from the self-service machines back in the early 2000s to mobile app to all of these things. But if you compare the headcount at airlines now compared to what it was in the past, it's only gone up. Um, New technology actually creates new jobs. You know, when we implement that, you know, what I was talking about before, that reservations chatbot, it's not that somehow we get fewer calls now as a result of it. In fact, we get more calls because people realize that now, wow, that was a really easy experience. My questions are getting answered more quickly. I'm actually able to get the kind of information I want. I'm going to interact with this more regularly. And what happens is now we have the really hairy, the really complicated questions, and we need the agents. We need just as many agents to field those. So, I mean, there's no question that tech can improve productivity, and it has forever, not just in the airline industry, but in every industry. But generally, that leads to growth at an airline, which leads ultimately to more jobs. So I, in answer to your question, I think tech can help with, uh, with productivity, but at the same time, I don't see that it, it's replacing jobs. Maya, you went through so much change and disruption at American. What, what was the most challenging and what would you say was the most rewarding? Yeah, for sure. There has been a lot of change and disruption at American. Like you said at the beginning, Scott, you know, from 9-11 to the financial crisis, the bankruptcy to the merger. You know, if you had asked me this question a few years ago, um, I would have said that the merger was definitely the most challenging part of my career. I mean, just from a technology standpoint, you know, you bring in these two companies together and now you've got two of everything. You have two websites and two PSSs and two flight operating systems. And in our case, sometimes we even had three of things because, you know, the merger between U.S. Airways and America West wasn't completely integrated yet. So, you know, integrating the technology was really hard. It was really challenging. Ultimately, I'm really proud of how it all turned out. You know, we had a great team and the PSS implementation really went flawlessly. Um, I remember people were reading the newspaper on the night of the cutover because there wasn't anything to do. (laughs) Um, So that was great. I would say for the merger, the people integration was more challenging than the technology. You know, you have different cultures, different philosophies, different processes, you know, even like different cities that people lived in. And, you know, everyone got strangely invested in their way. And, you know, it really took a while to get people past this us and them mentality. You know, fortunately for me personally, you know, I had Doug and Elise and Robert and the rest of the U.S. Airways leadership team. And, you know, they were amazing. They were so welcoming and inclusive and empowering. Um, So my integration really wasn't that challenging, but just getting my team together was, uh, that was, that was a, a tough moment in my career. But, 
you know, if you ask me now, that was a couple of years ago, that would have been the most challenging. But if you ask me now, I'd have to say that COVID sort of trumped the merger. Um, I mean, to lose 90% of our customers and our revenue literally overnight, you know, that's a hard shock <laughs> for any business to take. But in the airline industry, it was truly existential. You know, fortunately, we had Doug and the AA government affairs team who I really credit with saving the industry. You know, Doug, obviously they worked with other people, but Doug personally was on a plane every week to and from DC for months, knocking on doors and ensuring that the airlines got what they needed in the CARES Act. Um, but that was just a super crazy and challenging time in everyone's career. You know, the playbook was out the window. We were, you know, for example, you know, we had our priority list and then suddenly we had a whole new set of priorities, one of which was we had to create a touchless kiosk, you know, something, you know, a self-service machine at the airport that people could interact with without touching it. And I can assure you that that was not on the priority list prior to COVID. So, you know, dealing with all of that change and dealing with all the people issues, obviously it was a really hard time for everybody personally. Um, that was definitely the most uh, challenging moment, I would say, of my career. For sure. Maya, one CIO once said to me that a good CIO needs to have one leg in the stable. Make sure the lights turn on every time you flip the switch. But the other leg has to be in the creative, tear everything down and make it better. Do you agree? Yeah, for sure. You know, there were times where, you know, we, just like every other airline, we would have uh, some technology crisis, some reliability issue that would impact the, the operation. And, you know, what I would say is, we can have the coolest, the slickest, the you know most amazing AI, but who cares if it doesn't work? You know, if it's not running and the operation is suffering, then I don't care how cool the technology is. So yeah, there was always one foot in ensuring that you know things were stable, the the systems were reliable. Fortunately, over time, every airline has upped their game in this space. You know, we've all made the the critical investments that we've need to make in order to ensure that that you know, at least the foreseen potential problems were not going to bite us. And so I think we get to spend more of our time. We have more weight on the foot that's in the creative to your, uh, to your analogy. And we get to have more time sort of on the more fun stuff, which is what is the new and innovative and creative technologies that we can bring forward? Was there a job at the airline that you always wanted to do, but didn't get the chance? You know, I was super lucky to have the roles that I did and I got so much breath, you know, I had so much fun in all of these jobs from the, you know, advantage job, which was a riot, you know, to the CIO role to, you know, all the other opportunities. But I think if you if there was one that I would have enjoyed that I sort of missed the opportunity was I, I think I would have enjoyed running a big airport, you know, the timing sort of never worked out on that one. Um, yeah. 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 
No, no desire to fly airplanes or any of that? <laughs> no, honestly, what I really enjoyed was having a big team and everybody working towards a common goal. And so that's why sort of running a big airport, I think, sounds a little bit more appealing to me than, um, than sort of being a, a pilot. Uh-huh. You really are a glutton. I know. I know. Those are the hardest jobs. I don't think I would have lasted. I say I would like to do it, but that's easy to say when you've never had to do it. I have so I have mad respect for these folks that are out there day after day dealing with uh, what's happening. I mean, you know, the airline business is just so fascinating. And I'm sure you guys know this, obviously, but, you know, it's one of the few industries where the product is being consumed as it's being produced. And so you're pretty much walking this constant tightrope. You're on this razor's edge of things spiraling out of control. And, um, and the people who are on the front lines of that, like somebody running an airport, you know, just mad respect for, for what they have to do and, and, and how they, they manage those, those jobs. I totally agree. Now that you have stepped out of the business, what do you think the future holds for airlines? Smooth air or turbulence? Oh, you know, it'll be smooth air in between bouts of turbulence. I think that's the way it's always been, and I think it's the way it's always going to be. I mean, just when you think it's smooth sailing, you know, some totally random and crazy thing happens. But that's kind of like what we like about it, right? Is that it's always just so fascinating and so like, you know, wait, that happened? You would never have anticipated that that was going to happen. You know, it's, I think it's going to be both. I do think technology has the opportunity to make the industry, the airline business, smoother, and so hopefully we we get to see that reality happen. Well, that's a good thought. And what's ahead for Maya? What's what's next for you? <laughs> um, so as you said at the beginning, I've recently relocated to London and just really, really enjoying this terrific city that I'm living in right now. There's just like a seemingly endless amount of things to do here. So I don't think I'm going to exhaust um, that list anytime soon. But at the same time, you know, I plan to stay involved in the business world. I enjoy being challenged from a business sense. I'm doing a couple different board roles, both for public companies and for nonprofits. And, um, and I'll continue to sort of add to that portfolio going forward. While I also enjoy the city and learn, you know, how to enjoy cucumber sandwiches and, and how to mind the gap. Well, minding the gaps sort of sums up the entire airline industry, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. I think that is a good good, uh, explanation of it. Well, Maya, this has been terrific. Um, Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate your insights and uh, wish you great luck in all the future endeavors on both sides of the pond. Oh, well, thank you, Scott and Ben. I enjoyed talking with you. 
And we'll be right back with more on Airlines Confidential. Promotional consideration provided by the Archive.net. Celebrating 20 years with a fresh new look and over 60,000 items of AvGeek goodness. It's the hub of air transport history. And you're welcome aboard the Archive.net. So thanks again to Maya for a great discussion. Her thoughts on airline tech were great. Yeah, it was really a fascinating discussion, I thought. Ben, I want to remind listeners that Airlines Confidential will be on stage for a keynote podcast at Aviation Festival Americas on May 15th in Miami Beach. This is the 16th year for Aviation Festival Americas, and it brings together more than 250 influential leaders from the U.S., Canada, and Latin America. If you'd like to attend, listeners can get a 50% discount by going to airlinesconfidential.com, clicking on the Aviation Festival banner ad, and using the promo code AC50. It's going to be a great event, and we are looking forward to being part of it. Okay, on to the mailbag. Daniel from Sarasota writes, Professor Ben and Scott, I don't get the professor tag, Ben, you do. Professor Ben and Scott, thank you so much for the podcast and taking our questions. I learn so much every week. Could you discuss the process for how airlines decide to go into a new airport? Do they do research every few years on pretty much every market they're not already in, or do they look at certain number of markets every year to determine whether it would make sense for them to expand? Kind of related, you discussed the situation with Latrobe's airport and Spirit because Spirit is the only airline serving Latrobe. If Spirit were to go under, what do you think of Allegiant moving in? They already serve the Orlando market and could add another market or two, such as Punta Gorda, Florida, if they were the only show in town. So, Daniel, I'll offer up a little bit and then defer to you, Ben. But I know route development is a very sophisticated business at airlines, a lot more involved than the days when a guy named Pete McGlade at Southwest would drive around looking at roads and facilities at airports and then sit down with Herb over a map and a bottle of bourbon. Today, tons of data are involved. And airports offer millions of dollars in incentives, in many cases, to get airlines to serve new markets. Communities regularly visit airlines trying to sell themselves. Conferences are held worldwide where airlines and airports speed date. And every airline has a prospect list, the most promising new markets. Some of the data is what's available, not just on existing flights, but how many people are connecting between cities and what the market might be if there were a nonstop in that city pair. Some of its fare data is a market expensive and therefore ripe for new low fare service. And along with data are hunches and hopes. One time, Ben, I was trying to figure out where Southwest would go to get into the Boston market. I grew up in the Boston suburbs. I had lunch with Herb one day and said to him, you know, if I were you, I'd go to Providence, Rhode Island. Easy to get to from the suburbs on Route 128 and I-95, maybe faster than going through downtown Boston to get to Logan. And that was back when there was only one tunnel under the harbor. He roared laughing and then said, you're right, but don't attribute it to me. So I wrote a story about Southwest planning to go to Providence, Rhode Island. 
I called the company for comment, and the answer I got from the PR people was, you better be sure of your source because we can't confirm it. I was pretty sure the source was solid. Great story. Scott, you're right about planners, but the one data source you left out was the regular raw profit reports. Mm. Airlines look not just at adding new service, but reallocating from routes, not cutting it financially. Mm-hmm. And if you got a new airplane, it may be that that airplane needs to uh, bolster existing routes um, where you need more flights. That's right. And generally, revenue wins the day. Airports have different prices, but never cost more than 15 or 20% of the whole trip. Well, this is one of the really fascinating things about this business. It makes it so different, right? Um, when you, you build a plant, you build a hotel, you open a restaurant, whatever, you can't just move it every month to, to a different place. But airlines can put their airplanes virtually anywhere. And so it gets to be a really complicated thing to figure out where the best place for the airplane is. That's right. Let me give another example. Sometimes a planner will say, I found a great market we can fly from May to September. And I'd say, great, what are you going to do with the plane from October to May? Well, fly it, fly it someplace warm, maybe. Who knows? Yes. <laughs> All right. One more, Ben. Charles from Mississippi takes me to task for my question to Brett Snyder, where I said, in a commodity market, the lowest cost provider wins. Charles says, that sentiment slash shorthand probably applied 20 years ago when Southwest and US Air pretty much had the same product, but US Air had dramatically higher costs. Fast forward to today, it's not a commodity market. The majors, and ULCCs, frankly, have gotten very good at segmenting the market. Just look at basic economy, economy, comfort plus, and first on Delta. They managed to sell four meaningfully different types of getting from point A to point B. And the cost structure slash work rules of the formerly high-cost carriers have come down. They don't match spirit, but they're closer than they used to be. You're correct, of course, Charles. And that was the point of the question, how airlines have managed to get away from the commodity service of simply getting people from point A to point B. It has been a remarkable transformation, as you rightly point out. And the point still holds that if your costs are lower, you'll make more money. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's it for another episode of Airlines Confidential. Thanks again to Maya Liebman and to all of you. Keep listening and keep the questions and comments coming. We'll take the leap and be back next week with much more. Thanks all.
This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.